Well, good morning. Happy fifth Sunday of Epiphany. All right. Well, as you could tell by the readings today, there were no superheroes in the in any of the readings, but every one of them, by the grace of God, was able to be used by God. Starting out with, uh, first of all, to set the stage, the, the, Gennesaret is also known as the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus asked him to put out, and being, they called him teacher, and surely he acted when that, even that position of sitting to teach was the posture that, that the teachers or the rabbis used to, to, to preach God's word. In verse 4, uh, is talking about it. Same Ambrose likened the command to push out to the deep as entering into deeper things of God. It's one thing that we always tell people about the liturgy. There is no wasted movement. There's not one thing we do that there isn't a scriptural reference or a historical reference or a traditional reference that, that we're keeping with today. Um, I think it was the Corinthians. I forget the exact line, but it's one that... Uh, it's exactly in the liturgy when we're doing the Eucharist that, that, uh, that Paul said too. Then in verse 6, Jesus draws me and us with things that are familiar. In Matthew 2, 2, he drew and caught the Magi's attention with a star. Matthew 5, 9, he used tax collectors to get to tax collectors. And fishermen, he, 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 he lured them with fish. Or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, he became all things to all men that some may be saved. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was always using common things. He was talking about things of agriculture, things of... The, and that's what he did. He, he, he talk, talked in very simple terms. Uh, and, then, and then the readings uh, in... 1 Corinthians 15.10, uh, which was in our readings, uh, which was what in our readings today. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul speaking said this, said, His grace to me has not been ineffective. And so I, I guess what I'm saying today, in the, the Isaiah, God's grace burned away the sin in Isaiah when he touched it to his lips and he became one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel. This same grace stopped Paul dead in his tracks on the road to Damascus when he was going to persecute the church. And this, this same grace made him one of the greatest evangelists of all time. And grace brought a tough and impetuous fisherman named Peter to his knees and made him a fisher of men and leader of Christ's church. So today I'm asking, what does this grace have an effect on us? Thank goodness God always used people. We talk about David a lot. You know, David had the nerve to tell Solomon, I go by the way of all men. Be a man. So therefore, be a man. But David wasn't always a man, was he? David took a man's wife. David killed the woman's husband. That's not being a man. Matter of fact, if you see David's life after that, he became less of, of a man. God, God loved his heart. 
but he came less of a man because when his um, stepson raped his daughter, he didn't handle that too well. And then his son kills the stepson, and it was like everything was losing control. You know why? Because when we sin, we start diminishing who we are about being that man. That's, you know, that's what Pilate said about Jesus. Jesus was a man that knew who he was in Christ. And he didn't say, behold the man. If you translate it exactly correctly, Pilate looked at him and said, behold man. Jesus was man, fully man. Not the man, but man. It's where it's supposed to be. And so that's what this grace is today. Um, we are to be... Um, this grace that, that comes upon us, it doesn't have to be dramatic, but it often is. And so you have to ask yourself, what grace has driven you further away from sin? Do you know a time in your life where you did something, or you were doing something, or you are living a certain way, but the hurt or the wound, usually God uses pain, made you choose to to move from your sin and to move back closer to Him. Uh, what, um, what sin or, or what grace did God give you to be able to forgive someone that was hard to forgive? And what emboldened you then? What, what has challenged Christ in your life or all of our lives where we will go talk to people about Jesus? And I tell you, in mine, I can't give you a specific time, but there were times in my life when I wasn't walking out my Christian life. I say I would say starting out, I was quote unquote a Christian my whole life. I, I really don't remember a day. Yes, I was baptized uh, when I was nine years old, but I was never not in church. So I don't recall not being a Christian. I tell people, are you telling me that all those Christmases and Easter's and loving Jesus, loving the baby. I wasn't a Christian during that time. Just because I hadn't walked an aisle or been put in water yet. I think not. I think I was a Christian. But then I didn't live a Christian. And I remember one time I lived in Peachtree City, Georgia. And I sat down with the Lord one night just being as honest as I can. I said, I don't know about this once saved, always stuff. But seriously, if you would let me in heaven... Comparing my life to Mother Teresa or something, I said, you are unfair. And then I was very, very honest with him. I said, but here's the deal, Lord. If you're that great a deal, and I should be passionately following you, I said, why is the world so attractive to me? And do you know, he will take our prayers like that, and he takes them seriously. It wasn't just a little bit after that. My brother was telling me about a church he was going to. It was an Assembly of God church or a group that had left an Assembly of God church. And they were an independent charismatic church called Parkway Christian Fellowship in, in Centerpoint or Roebuck in Birmingham. And I went to church with him. And it was my first exposure to people that were quote-unquote spirit-filled. And it changed my life. Then I moved to Peachtree City, Georgia. I was in another Assembly of God church, and a guy named David Epps, who is now Bishop David Epps, uh, over, in, over in Sharpsburg, Georgia, was the pastor. 
And I went to a full gospel businessmen's fellowship, which they met on Saturdays. And they had an Episcopal, spirit-filled Episcopal priest come named Gray Temple. And I'll never forget, I don't know what he was talking about that day, but I'll never forget that it said, and that's why we do the sacrament of reconciliation. What he's saying is that general confession we do before the table. That's why we do that, because we've, we've made peace with each other. We want to make peace with God, cause we, and we want to come to the table with, with no sin in our heart. And that hit me. And it was, uh, I moved from Peachtree City to Birmingham, Alabama. And I don't know how many years it was, a few years. And uh, more than a few years, several years, because I moved on to, to, to Jackson, Mississippi. And I never could get that out of my mind. Matter of fact, uh, a guy named Ken Eckhart uh, loaned me some cassette tapes on servanthood that Great Temple had taught, and I wore them out. They wouldn't play anymore. And, and I just couldn't. And there was something in my spirit. And, but I got on my knees in 1996 before the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm tired of living like this. I had a really good job. A really, really, really good job. But I, I wasn't at peace with who, where I was in Christ. And I got on my knees and said, Lord Jesus, I don't care where it takes me one day. I will give you the last third of my life. I said, I apologize for being basically Lord over my own life. But I will give you the rest of my life. I said, you've been trying to get me in ministry for more. I've had a marriage that didn't work out. I think I've disqualified myself, but if I have, why don't you leave me alone? So I called Father Epps and said, like, I don't know where to go except the last place that I, when I, that I was serving you, that I remember I really was serving you. So I went to Peachtree City, Georgia, and then I had to go back to Birmingham for some on business or whatever, and he sent a guy named Bishop Holloway over to visit with me. Now that guy, he, everything pumped him up. And I just, he was a great person. And then I met Bishop Jones. And the very night of my first visit to Birmingham, they invited me, the Church of the Redeemer, which was the Church of Holy Spirit in Fairfield, is that what it was called at first, do you recall? Anyway, that was the night they were receiving that church into the CC, and Bishop Howard was preaching. And my daughter was in town. I guess she was home from school or whatever. And uh, I said, well, do you want to go to church? And she said, yeah. Well, I'd never been to a CEC service. I surely hadn't heard uh, Bishop Howard, Archbishop Howard, preach for like an hour and a half. <laughs> and, I hadn't, and I had seen this in, in a spirit. I'd been in spiritual churches. So we got a sacramental church. People's wearing robes and looking sort of Catholic. But four churches over there laying all over the floor passed out in the spirit and my daughter's there and I'm going like God this isn't working out too good and and so but when I left church that night I said Pamela I'm so sorry I had no idea this was going like to last this long she said I liked it I said you did <laughs> well great but what I'm saying is God's grace and mercy caused me and, and I really mean this grace and mercy. I didn't know what to do with that sacramental feeling. I didn't know what to do with that's why we have the uh, 
sacrament of reconciliation. It's not really a sacrament. That's a general confession, but that's what he called it that day. But I knew there was something about it. I knew when he said, this is the body of Christ. I knew it was real in my heart. This is the blood of Christ. I knew it was my real heart. In fact, at the assembly of God, we'd have communion. That's what I started saying to each person when I would serve them communion. I really believed it. I was like Mikey. I would have eaten anything. There wasn't anything. And lo and behold, when I got on my knees in, in Mississippi that day, and I said, Lord, he's so gracious. I said, you can have the rest of my life. And all I heard these was these two words was, welcome back. Went to Georgia, sat down in a Waffle House off of Highway 54 in Peachtree City, Georgia. Told the same story to, to David, uh, Father David. Two words came out of his mouth. Welcome back. And that was it. No judgment, no condemnation. Let's, now let's dust yourself off and let's get going with the rest of your life. And so that's what I'm talking about, the grace. I tried the world. Nothing about this world intimidates me. Nothing about it do I want to have to have. Nothing I want to miss. And I'll talk to a wall about Jesus. I don't care where it is, what's doing. I love Jesus. I love being a Christian. And I love the grace that he put in my heart. And am I... And I'm bad, just like the rest of the guys. I'm glad he used a bunch of bad guys in the Bible that kind of messed it up with him because he let me know that he was doing it. So I guess that's what this whole sermon is about today. And I didn't know I was going to give you a testimony, but that's, that's the grace I'm talking about. There's, there's got to be a definitive time where you know God changed something in your life and you were there and you didn't want to be anywhere else. That's why it's so funny. I was telling... Uh, Brian, a few minutes ago, that I'd get on this Protestant blog list, but I drive them crazy because I'm sacramental, and drives them even more crazy when I tell them I'm not Roman Catholic. <laughs> they don't know what to do, and they get so put out. But 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 it's this sacramental life that completed the thing. I was born again. I was an evangelical. I knew how to get born again. I got spirit filled, but I wasn't through the sacraments and going to seminary and learning the history of the church. I feel like. I'm at home, and it was strange. When I was in seminary, somebody asked me outside the CEC one day, says, well, what do y'all, that's a southern way, what do y'all believe about, maybe it was baptism, infant baptism, whatever the thing was. And when I answered them, I said, well, the church has always believed. And I stopped myself. I didn't say charismatic Episcopal Church, CEC, or even we. I said, oh, Lord, how cool is this? I am finally in the church that you started. I don't even know what else to call it but the church. That was a wonderful feeling, and I love it. But let me tell you why right now, in this special time in, in our lives, we know what's happening. You were talking about the readings last week, and after all of those horrible signing laws where you could actually take a baby's life after it's born or the day before it's born, and just, just horrible, horrible stuff that I thought may would happen in this country, but not in my lifetime. But I was reading an open, it's kind of an open letter, Bishop, um, I mean, Father, uh, uh, I just went blank. Um, Father Rob Northwood, he's a friend of mine. I'd love to, and love to, and may fly up there. He's, he's getting consecrated a bishop of the Mid-Atlantic Diocese on March the 15th. But later on in this letter of invitation, 
uh, Bishop Bates, our, our primate and archbishop here in the United States, wrote this. He said, It's a hard time to become a bishop. The church in the United States among all denominations is generally in decline. The entire nation is in a spiritual decline. The two fast and growing denominations in the United States are none and done. Christianity is going away, just like in Europe. The church of the United States is aging quickly, not only in their numerical decline in the United States, but in many denominations also have drifted away from the historical and ancient church and teachings of the church and have embraced a new revisionist theology which ignores the authority of Scripture the traditions of the church and the teachers and fathers throughout the ages. It is a hard time to become a bishop in the United States. The United States is increasingly rejecting the Judeo-Christian heritage and roots. It seems unimaginable that I write this. As I write this, we are seriously debating whether or not infanticide is a good thing, let alone an acceptable thing. In recent years, our country has rejected traditional definitions and roles for family, gender, and marriage. Christians are increasingly labeled as bigots, sexist, dangerous, judgmental, and divisive. And again, it seems odd that we are even discussing in these days the religious liberty of Christians. But a look at history soon tells us that not only is this not the hardest times, there have been harder and far more difficult times. The entire 20th century was far more difficult time when it comes to persecution of Christians and each generation has had to face its task and difficulties. There is an ancient hymn that begins with the words, once to every man and nation comes a moment to decide. And folks, I guess that's what I'm talking about today. This grace, are we going to allow this grace to help us decide who we are? Are we going to decide to be a man, to be a woman? Um, if, if, like I said, grace doesn't have to be dramatic, but often it is. What drove you further away from your sin? What caused you to forgive someone? What emboldened you to tell others about Christ and the love of God? Here's the deal. We've got to let the grace of God make us into real men and real women. The first question we have to ask a person is, who do men say that I am? You've got to find out, who do you say Jesus is? This is, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about one thing about me, a mean, judgmental, argumentative, but you've got to go to people, and they've got to decide, who is Jesus? Our answer is the same that Peter gave. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have to explain it clearly that there are no other gods. They are dead and buried in their worm food. We serve a living God that has died once for all, but rose three days later and is now seated on the right hand of the Father, ensuring and implementing His salvation plan for our lives. Men need to know that there is a fallen angel who is our enemy, but he is defeated. Men need to know that there is a heaven waiting for those who are in Christ and a hell for those who choose not to accept his love and reject his salvation. Men need to know that wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many go by it, but narrow is the gate 
and difficult a way that leads to life, and there are few who will find it. In other words, there will be more people in hell than heaven. We've got to tell them, we've got to tell the world about this Christ man that knew, he, that knew who he was, exactly who he was, who he was in his Father, and yet he gave his life for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the greatest love available, the world, the greatest number of people, that he gave his only begotten Son the greatest gift, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, which is the greatest life. And God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn this world, but that the world through him might be saved. We've got to be true men and true women in Christ. Just as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, God has called us to come and die so that we might participate in Christ's ministry of his life. How do we do this? So if you've got loved ones that you're praying for or a friend or people that's hurting, we can do this on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but we can do, do it more specifically for general. But I'm talking about if you're worried about your children, your neighbors, your friends, guys that are not saved, here's specifically what to pray specifically for this person so that your life will become the magnifying glass, glass that focuses the light of Christ on this person. Be specific about them. Be intentional about them. Focus the light of Christ on their life. Love people right where they are. In other words, don't tell them about their sins. Get them out of Egypt first. Set them free. Get them saved. Let them know the love of Christ. We were talking on the way over that uh, somebody suggested a book that I read and it was about a, a girl that um, was a lesbian. And that she was invited, not to church, but to this lady's home for dinner. And week after week, and loved her, never questioned her life, never questioned how she dressed, never talked about her language, but lo truly, truly loved her to the point where she changed. She wanted to know about this love. She had never been loved or cared about, not by a parent, not for a spouse, supposed friend. And that's where we've got to go, people. We've got to love people where they are. Not judge them. Dogs bark, cats meow, sinners sin. Okay, it's just the way it is. If a sinner acted righteous, we, that's when to get confused. If a sinner's acting like Jesus, something's got a bad confusion. But a person that don't know Christ is going to act like his father, the devil. Accept it. And accept them. Then, after we, we want to tell them how to set them free. The next thing is, let's help them get free. Tell them that Christ loves them. And like I said, don't ever mention their sin and tell them you love them and act like you love it and treat them like you love them and truly love them. Because it's not about how you feel. It's about will you die, come and die every day that Christ can love them through your mortal body. You don't have to work at it. Dead people don't have to exhibit love. They just got to make a body available for Christ to exhibit his love through. Bring them to church. Why bring them to church? Here's the reason. Jesus is alive. But then Jesus comes every Sunday right here and dies for us again and again. It's one continuous crucifixion that never goes away. That's why I say when we come in here, we're not watching a movie. Get interested. This is Calvary. 
Jesus is dying for us every time. And with that death, what, what comes from it? He feeds us with his body and his blood. He nourishes us. He gives us the meal of immortality that we can live and be whole and alive in Christ, fully strengthened by his body. He heals us, and most of all, he forgives us. There is only one way to defeat darkness, and that is to turn on the light. Let's determine in our hearts today that we receive the very light of the life of Christ in our hearts and go out into this dark world and help Jesus dispel the darkness in the world and in the people that we have met and love. And he loves this way, one person at a time. Amen.